Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. All right. We ready to go, Reg? I am. Let's get the uh, microphone all set up here. Are you ready to go? All right. Looks good. I'm in a good mood today. Hopefully that <laughs> translates into a good pro, uh, good podcast. What do you say? <clears throat> Clear my instrument. Ready? Here we go. I'll give you the countdown. I'll give you no three S's. I'll give you the countdown and give you the music of your podcast. What do you say? <laughs> Episode 321. 321. Blast off. How's that? All right. You ready? Here we go. Star smile strong. Three, two, one. Now, now, three, two, one is not only the countdown, but it's also the number of the podcast today. Wow. How about that for symmetry? Deep, man. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there, naturally. If you like what you hear, don't forget. Spread the word. Tell others. Send a link, send a message to friends, family, or anybody that you know that listens to podcasts and tell them what the heck is your problem. If I got a podcast for you, and then you tell them it's Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic, your loyalty and devotion, of course, is always, always much appreciated. And if you like what you hear, again, for the second time, lots of things to do if you like what you hear. If you like what you hear, go to the WGNRadio.com website. Hit the prompt for podcasts. Hit the prompt for this specific podcast, and you will find. I don't even. I don't even know how to describe it. A boatload, a a cargo ship full. No, don't say that. There might be. We have a supply chain problem. No supply chain problem here. We're pumping these things and deliver them every week to you. But anyway, there's a, put it this way. There's a lot of podcasts there. So listen to them. Get up to date. Always find out what we talked about before so you'll know what we're talking about today and tomorrow. Yeah. Welcome to episode 321. 321 Blast Off. And... Uh, Boy, I tell you, my, uh, I, I was talking a few uh, podcasts ago. Uh, I had some throat problems, and uh, my, my voice is now back to normal and feeling good. And uh, I forgot, uh, you know, how dexterity, what's the word now? Dexterity. Dexteritis? Is that a word? Let me just say it this way. How much dexterity my voice has? <laughs> 
or can have at times. I don't know if you listened at the very beginning when I did the opening there. I said, a podcast. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to do that, but wow, my voice was feeling very strong. And I said, let me just, let me just play with that thing. Wow. All over the place today. Many octaves, many different uh, levels of, uh, of auditory uh, dexterity by my instrument today. So I'm enjoying that. <laughs> Especially the way it sounded maybe a month ago. Oh, my God. It was, uh, it was difficult uh, for a few days there. A good, week, a good week and a half. And then if you may remember, back in February, I had... Uh, uh, some throat problems as well, uh, a very bad sore throat, which I may or may not attribute to COVID. Still don't know. My COVID uh, situation is still, I still put an asterisk next to it. I know I probably had it, uh, but I really can't nail it. It, 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 was, it was such an unorthodox kind of case, considering when I first had the symptoms, and then when I eventually first tested positive, which was like two weeks later, with no symptoms, I tested negative with these supposed symptoms of a sore throat, but it went away in a day and a half, and I never had any more symptoms after that. And then, you know, like 10 days later, I tested positive with no, with no symptoms. I don't know. I'm sure I had it, but I don't know if I had it, but regardless. So I'm happy to say that my voice is, uh, is back. The voice is back in town. The voice is back in town. Look up that song by Thin Lizzy. The boys are back in town. Anyway, um, so what I want to talk to you about today is, uh, is wow, a, 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 a major wake-up call. It's, it, it. It, it's not so much a shock to me. I've been saying this for quite a while, especially over the last couple of years when we've talked about COVID and the way the United States has, has handled it and, it, and, and allowed it to divide the country so much and, and become so politicized. It, 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 almost from the get-go, uh, a, a health issue became a political issue, so much so that it, it, it actually influenced our presidential election um amazing how a disease how a health issue could have that kind of an impact and it still is and covid is not gone and as much as we want it to be gone and as much as we're acting as if it's gone it is not gone and i just hope it doesn't come back with a ferocity that it that it came uh initially uh, it, it, it it attacked us with thankfully the, those vaccines that everybody uh has been downplaying are working. I'm double boosted. I'm looking forward to to, to 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 booster number three. Bring it on. I want any and all precautions. I trust the medical community. Call me naive. Call me stupid. But um, I'm still around here, and uh, the medical community has helped that quite a bit <laughs> over the years. So I, I trust the medical community. But um, But I've been saying how... The divided, uh, the divisiveness of our of our country over COVID, has really sent a message around the world uh, that we have 
lost a lot of our standing because we were worse, not not no better or worse, but worse, much worse than most countries in terms of vaccination numbers and and the way we were handling it we were we were at the bottom of the barrel and many smaller countries many more uh, less powerful underdeveloped countries were much more ahead of us in terms of the way they were handling covid the way they were vaccinating people so uh, our leadership around the world on COVID uh, was not existent. We were not a leader in it at all. We, we, um, I felt that we, we were embarrassing ourselves. And I actually said that if um, the way that we have been divided over the last decades, but COVID certainly uh, shined a, a light on it, I, I said that you know, if I were uh, our, our, uh, our enemies, I, w- I wouldn't even worry about having an army anymore i wouldn't even worry about nuclear weapons and and missiles and all that stuff just let us the united states um implode on itself they won't need to invade us we're going to if we stay down the road we're on now we are going to self-destruct it may take decades it may take a century but we are slowly going to decline we already have declined i mean if you don't believe that then you're really in denial and you're you're waving a flag. You're, 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 you're clinging to a patriotism that's about 70 years old from World War II. That doesn't exist anymore, folks, if you think. And, and, I'm, and I'm, what I want to talk about to you today is, is firsthand observation, firsthand experience that backs up what my hypothesis of what I've been saying about our reputation around the world and the way we're viewed by other countries, by allies, ironically, not just enemies, but by our allies, the way our allies look at us. Um, and I had a first-person uh, experience on just that. And so what I really want to talk about today is that, that this was an eye-opener, and we need, as a country, we need to really open up our eyes and realize that, that this divisiveness in our country is not only detrimental internally into our country, but it is externally bad news, detrimental in how other countries, whether they're allies or enemies, look at us. Our enemies are licking their chops, seeing how we are so divided and we are uh, just, uh, we seem to be in utter chaos right now with so many things going on. The, the recent ruling on abortion, uh, as I said, our COVID, our, our, our elections, January 6th, there's so much chaos and, uh, and tumult, uh, uh, just surrounding our country that our, uh, our enemies are, are sitting back and licking their chops. And I talked about this a few weeks ago about playing the political long game. They're just sitting back and waiting for us to get to a point where, where, where we're going to be little lambs. And don't, think it's, it's, and don't think it's impossible. Once again, look at history. The Roman Empire 
did not fall because of an invasion, did not lose a war. The Roman Empire collapsed upon itself. Always learn from history. And so if you don't think that uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, now look, there's a lot of potential motivations for that. And we've read all about this, you know, is it is it a last hurrah for Vladimir Putin? Is he terminally ill? Maybe is he trying to has he has only a short time left, months or years, and perhaps he's he's trying to make one last uh, lunge at uh, bringing Russia back to its former glories of the past centuries. Is it that? Is it? Is it? An, is it a a Putin internal motivation for this uh, this Ukraine invasion? Is it a nationalistic, populist, uh, you know, move to uh, to keep him in power, to establish his legacy? to make him one of the great leaders in Russian history, whatever the, the motivations are, you, I think it's, I think it's, it's, I don't, I mean, I think it's certainly a viable reason that people say, well, why now? Okay. Well, maybe there's these health issues that Putin has, but, but once again, if you overlook the fact of the way our country has been portraying itself to the outside world, to the other countries of the world over the last several years because of our divisiveness long before COVID and long before Donald Trump. You know, this has been going on for a while. As I said a couple of podcasts ago, and that's why I say I always listen to previous podcasts because many times I will reference them. You know, our, our divisiveness can go back 20 years, at the very least 20 years. After 9-11, when we were united, we were suddenly, as, as, as quickly, on an instant, we were united as a country. And it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was an amazing sight to see the resiliency of America. And it may be the last time we ever see that kind of resiliency in this country, given how divided we are now. But as quick as that unity swelled almost overnight because of the horrific attack of 9-11... Uh, within a year or so, we were it, it, it was it, it disappeared when we were so divided over the war in Iraq. And since then, that divide has continued to grow and grow and grow on a variety of issues. To the point now where there is a huge chasm. We that we are we are there is a grand canyon of divided of of division in this country right now between political parties and, and cultural and social uh, ideas and mores. And if you don't think that other countries are looking at us and saying, well, you know, now is a good time to, to start to, to uh, you know, push. They may not be looking to invade us but they've had their sights on doing other things and they were always afraid that america would get involved and and stop them but when they see us so divided on every issue practically they say you know what 
Now is the time. So if you don't think that the Ukraine invasion by Russia has been influenced by our divided country right now, which, which, which was exacerbated by COVID, uh, you're, 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 you're just not looking at reality. You're in denial. We have to. World War II is over, and whatever glory we had in World War II, that's done. The world is not. The world is no longer thanking us for keeping us keeping the world safe for democracy. That's over. Whatever, whatever glory and credit we got in, in 1945, we've used it up. And I thought that was a fairly good hypothesis and theory. But recently, as I said earlier, I saw it in action. And I was somewhat, you know, from a personal standpoint, I, I was say, well, I told you so. I wasn't happy to say I told you so, but I knew what, but I, I, could, I could look around and see from a realistic point of view, and I've always said that at the end of the day, folks, I try to be a realist. I'm, a, I'm an optimistic realist. But uh, the realism sometimes does, does eliminate some of the optimism because the realities are pretty tough these days. And so I have felt that on a world stage, the United States' reputation is lessened in many respects actually weakened and disrespected and when you see what russia did i think that's a direct correlation to that and don't be surprised if you see other countries like north korea get little weird and don't and we're we're having to always keep our eyes on china and taiwan and people say who cares about china and taiwan you better care about china and taiwan because taiwan controls about 90 percent of the silicon chips in the world and what runs your computer and what runs your smartphone and what runs a majority of the technology in this world are silicon chips, your car, everything, almost everything you touch that you rely on on a daily basis is built upon a silicon chip. And whoever controls that market will control the world economy. And right now, thankfully, Taiwan is a democracy and and we are their allies. But for decades, China has, want to, has, has, has been waiting to and has wanted to reclaim Taiwan just as Russia feels some kind of reclamation and right to reclaim Ukraine. These things are not random acts. And you better be worried about China. You better, you better keep your eyes and ears open about what's going on in Taiwan. And what happens in Ukraine will affect that. Because if Russia does ultimately 
win this war or, or reclaim even parts of Ukraine for their act of, of war, for their act of violence, for their invasion. And the rest of the world sees that we didn't really come in and stop it, did we? we we've been on the fence. We've been giving arms, but you know, the President Zelensky there certainly has not been happy with the way the United States has, has supported them. He's been grateful for the support, but he has also always been uh, wanting more if he's going to hold off the Russian army. And because we are so divided in this country, President Biden has been very hesitant to get more seriously involved. We just pulled out of Afghanistan, and now we're going to go into Ukraine? We were just in Afghanistan for 20 years. And at the end of the day, the Taliban won that, as I said before in a, in a podcast a couple weeks ago, the long game. Our enemies are playing the long game on us, folks. We better realize that. China is just waiting. But they have had Taiwan in their sights for decades. And if we continue to be as divided as we are in this country, and as we continue to portray a weakened image to the rest of the world, things are going to shift, and they're going to shift fast. And we're going to go, what happened? Whoa, whoa, what happened? How did we fall from the top here? Believe me, we're, we're, we are teetering right now. And I say that not only theoretically, which I think there's a basis for this, because we're seeing things happen. I, I said this long before the Ukraine invasion, that our enemies are going to use our weakness and our divisiveness against us and, and, uh, and do what they want to do. And sure enough, Russia has done that, and more countries may follow. What I saw recently was very disturbing because, as I said before, you expect that from your, from your enemies, but you, when it's your allies, when it's your friends, boy, it stings a lot more, right? Don't you notice that in just in your regular, regular life? You know, you might, somebody that you don't respect may criticize you, and you may take that as a grain of salt. But if someone that you respect or you care about, a family member or a close friend or a respected co-worker says something about you, it stings, doesn't it? And I, and I, got, I, I felt the sting of an ally recently. One of, our, one of our international allies. So over the 4th of July weekend, a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were out of the country. We were in England. We were in London. And uh, London's one of my favorite, if not my favorite cities in the world. Maybe even more than Chicago, where I've lived my whole life. And I would love to live in London one day, even for a couple of months. I would just love to live in London. We went there for our our wedding honeymoon, and I fell in love with that city, and I fell in love with England. And... Um, it's been an ongoing love affair for decades, and I've been there many times. So we were there over um, for about six days 
in, in part of that time was oh, now we didn't go there specifically for Fourth of July. We didn't we didn't go there specifically to spend Fourth of July in London, which it, it was and it was an interesting uh, interesting dynamic to be in England on Fourth of July because you know <laughs> they lost right. <laughs> it was interesting to being an uh, you know uh, uh, an American in England on Fourth of July, one of our most America's most beloved holidays and most important holidays about our independence from England, and there I was in our former in our country that was formerly owned us, if you will. And the funny thing was, there were no fireworks, as you would expect, and it wasn't a holiday. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was it was just a Monday. It was just another Monday. But what was interesting, my wife and I were walking through the the uh, the mall right in front of Buckingham Palace as they were preparing for the changing of the guard. They do that every day. A lot of tourists around there. And before the official ceremony, as people were gathering. They had a band, like a marching band playing. And it was, it was very surreal to be in England as an American on 4th of July, enemy territory, right? <laughs> but as we were walking through the mall, they were playing this marching band that were behind the gates of Buckingham Palace. This marching band was playing... American patriot music, Sousa music, all those songs that we play on Fourth of July as uh, as as patriotic, you know, to stir our patriotic um, feelings. This band was playing, and I was like, "Whoa! Are are they doing this as some kind of an odd tribute to Fourth of July?" Or, or was, I, I don't know. You know, many of our songs have English roots to them. Many of um, our Star Spangled Banner, the melody of, I don't know if you, if, if you know this, but the melody of the Star Spangled Banner, Oh Say Can You See, you know, Francis Scott Key wrote the lyrics about America, but he put he put those lyrics to a melody that was, a very popular pub song in England, a, a, a very popular, you know, drinking song. Different words. If you ever hear, you know, we, we hear you know, you know, but a lot of those those songs, you know, since we were British in our heritage, early on we took many of the British traditions and still brought them. We made them American, but they did have British origins. God save the Queen. Is you know, that's God save the queen. 
we play that in America like it's ours, but it's not ours. So there we are in England, and we're, I'm hearing all this this Sousa music playing. So it was kind of weird, but that's not the story. So we were there, and of course, I mean, I, I love to go. We we were we wanted to go to London. A few years ago, but COVID stopped that. So it's been a, a long, delayed trip back. We've gone there many times. A lot of times we will go there on, an, on, a, on a special anniversary, since that's where we went on our honeymoon. But, of course, it was delayed a few years, so we finally went back. And just by coincidence, a... Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, a certain piano player who wears glasses had a couple of concerts you know outside of london but that, that was just a coincidence <laughs> i may talk about that later in another podcast but needless to say we went to go see a couple of elton john concerts uh in this in a town just outside of london called watford where uh elton has a very uh close relationship it was it, it is was and is still is for most of his life uh, more almost fifty years later, uh, his his hometown. He wasn't born in Watford, but he was born in a town close to it called Pinner. And his hometown uh, soccer team, football team, uh, uh, is the Watford Hornets. And he grew up following the team and going to its uh, its stadium on Vicarage Road in Watford. And uh, he ultimately became the president of Watford. He, he owned the team and became president. He's now lifetime. Uh, honorary president he's he's done concerts there to raise money and he's actually risen the team um as an owner when he was an owner he's actually he brought the team to to a, a championship game they didn't win it back in 1984 but they went to the championship game so it's been a a bright spot for him and so he had a couple of concerts there as part of his farewell tour and they were going to be very special concerts for him and so those i like to go to, to special concerts for elton um, in addition to ones that are close to the house. But I, I also like to, to try to go to, to ones that have special meaning. There's no doubt that the two shows in Watford uh, were going to be special shows, and they indeed were. And so we, that was uh, more than a motivating factor to go at that time. But I don't need much of a, uh, of a coaxing to go to London. I just love it there. So interestingly, uh, you know, there's a six-hour difference in time six hours they're six hours ahead so for instance if it's if it's noon in chicago it's six o'clock in the evening in london and um so you know we're on vacation and it was about an hour's drive to get to the venue we wanted to get there early to beat traffic because this soccer stadium watford is a very small uh town working class town very small and this stadium, it's like Wrigley Field or, or you know, really in, in that it's, it's right in the neighborhood. You, you, you're walking down houses and you turn, you make a right turn and all of a sudden there's the stadium across the street. Literally our houses, just like the apartment buildings on, um, on Sheffield uh, across the street from Wrigley. It's, it's just like that. And so, um, you know. 
you know, we're on vacation. We're we're checking our our emails and stuff like that, but not you know constantly. And so we left early to get there because there's a lot of a lot of traffic and, and things like that. So we really didn't check any of our of our texts or or emails or things like that. Once we got to the venue, we met some people that we knew, and then the concert was on, and we came back. And so interestingly, when we got back to our room at about eleven thirty in the evening, my wife checked her texts finally and now of course you know as i said before it's 11 30 in london so it's about 5 30 p.m here but she had noticed a text that she had gotten earlier in the day uh from her brother who lives on the east coast and all he said was uh in this text was um i saw what happened in highland park are you okay? Well, I mean, we weren't around a phone. We weren't, I mean, we weren't around a, a television or a radio and we were at this concert and we weren't checking any of our, of our emails or our texts or anything on the phone. So we didn't know what the heck he was talking about. And he, you know, being from the East Coast, he just, he just saw on the news that there was this, this tragic, horrific mass shooting in Highland Park and he had sent the text earlier in the day, but we didn't see it until we got back to our room at 1130 in the evening. Now, it would have probably been sent around 4 o'clock because, you know, 10 o'clock or so is when this event happened, 10 a.m. around here in Chicago. So that would be like 4 o'clock there. But as I said, we we left around 4 or so to to go. So we weren't really checking anything. So we were like, what? And we don't, and well, obviously we were okay. We were, we were 4,000 miles away from Chicago at that point. So we were fine. Um, but we didn't know what he was referring to. And I said, well, I wonder if there was a fire or something or what, what could have happened in Highland Park, especially Highland Park, Illinois, which for those of you who live in the Chicago area, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a suburb in the North Shore and uh, it's a pretty small and quiet area. Uh, you know, it's it's not a place where you, it's not a high crime area. It's, uh, you know, it's an affluent area. So not a lot happens negatively in Highland Park. So we were wondering, what is he referring to? And so uh, we still hadn't turned the TV on yet. We were in the room. And so uh, my wife just Googled, you know, Highland Park. To see, I said, well, you know, put Google Highland Park, see what's going on. And wow, were we in it for a shock? And you know, all it took was you know a couple of letters. You once once she typed in high, boom, you know the the Google thing already, you know, knew what she was looking for and and took her right to stories about Highland Park. And she's like, wow, there was a mass shooting during the Highland Park Fourth of July parade, and it was like, oh my gosh. So that's why her brother was asking, because he didn't know, you know, where we were. Were were we at this parade? I'm sure, you know, especially on the East Coast, you know, the headline probably was mass shooting at a parade in Chicago. And then they drilled down as they did a more specific report. But I'm sure the headline, you know, on the news initially was near Chicago or, you know, Chicago shooting. And then, of course, 
they got into specifics about, uh, you know, a, a suburb of Chicago. So I'm sure he may have just seen the headline, you know, mass shooting in Chicago. And so uh, she got back to him and said, yeah, well, you know, you know, we're we're fine. We're safe. In fact, we're not even in the country. So then uh, I said, well, let, let's turn the TV on. And now I we are in London, England. We are 4,000 miles away. It is 11.30 in the evening in London. London. Okay, I can't stress that enough. Let's not forget, England is an ally of the United States, one of the few democracies left in this world that we, uh, you know. So, yeah, um, it, 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 it should matter what London thinks about us. They are one of our friends. It's 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 an odd friendship, right? Because we defected from them, but that was two hundred and almost fifty years now, and they thankfully don't have a thick skin on that. <laughs> Maybe they do, but we are allies, right? Even if it's sometimes a little rough, we are allies with England. And so on the BBC News, the British Broadcasting Company, the main news in England, the lead story on the news that evening, still at 11.30 at night when they would have you know, the ongoing news, the lead stories. And then even the next morning, when the news came on every hour, you know, now it's the 7 o'clock news and 8 o'clock, even though the news continues at the top of the hour, it sort of restarts. The lead story, not only on July 4th, but then on July 5th, the next day, in the morning, there was the headline on the news, on the BBC, mass shooting in Chicago. And as I said before, then... As they did their reports, they talked about how it was in Highland Park, and they showed the distance of Highland Park from downtown Chicago. But the headline, so there could be a reference point because nobody, uh, there's people outside of Illinois that don't even know where Highland Park is. There's some people in Illinois that probably don't even know what Highland Park is. So as a reference, especially here in England, in London, they just made it Chicago because it was near Chicago. So blasting all around the world, folks. You know, this was a local story here, I'm sure, and we weren't here to see the the, the kind of coverage that it got here, and we're still getting coverage about the Highland Park shooting weeks after, and we probably will continue for a while. I can only imagine what it was like here in the Chicago area. I'm sure there were all live broadcasts and cutting into news and things like cutting into programming and everything like that. But my point is 4,000 miles away in England, this was a lead story. And while, yes, there was compassion and empathy and sympathy for this shooting, certainly for the victims, for those that were killed as well as injured, some very seriously, some permanently, while they reported on this story with 
compassion and concern and sadness. There also was a definite perspective of the gun violence in America. So they they reported on the story, and they reported on it with, as I said, compassion and concern and care and empathy and sadness, which you would expect. But when they continued to talk about the story, and, and as I said, this was... This was not only the lead story, but it was it was a chunk of, of they, they reported on it, and then they had a panel of of people to discuss the gun violence in America, because this story certainly was another example of that, and we have become numb to this, sadly, and you know we are seeing people killed on a regular basis and we saw buffalo a few weeks ago and right after that uvalde and when buffalo happened we said never again and a week later uvalde happened and we said never again and on fourth of july highland park happened and the sad part is uh you know i I don't know when the next one's going to happen but we sadly know it's going to and we're going to have all the same things again all the vigils and all the calls for gun control and we have sadly become numb to this. This is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on from Columbine and Parkland and Sandy Hook and 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 other synagogue shootings. Other this has continued. And we are getting used to it and we are getting numb to it. And we are getting outraged, but we are not changing it. And that is not being lost on the rest of the world. This is what I'm saying about the image that we are portraying and conveying to the rest of the world. If you think that other countries are looking at us with a puzzled look, based on how divided we are over our politics in terms of Donald Trump and COVID and abortion and many of the issues that are dividing us today. Believe me, the gun issue in this country is in many ways more perplexing to our allies, and more perplexing to countries around the world. Because this really is an American problem. And by living in America, and we've, 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 come, we've become accustomed to the argument. But I'll have to, I have to tell you, when you're out of the country and you see how the other countries view us, This gun issue, while we are divided on many other issues, which I just mentioned to you, abortion and the way we've handled COVID and, and, um, you know, and politics and Donald Trump and all this other stuff. But I have to tell you, the, there, 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 you know, those are all issues that are debatable. But 
other countries really are looking at us now, always have, but the, the gun the gun problem in this country, the mass shootings as well as the weekly shootings, and here in Chicago, we certainly know about that, and we've, we've become blasé and numb to that on, on a weekend now. Without fail, we're always hearing, oh, this weekend 10 people got killed and 15 people got killed. Uh, and that's a, that's, that's a weekly occurrence now. And we are, we are getting so used to it. That's the scariest part. But we're getting used to it. But countries around the world are, are looking at the same statistics we are, are looking at the same incidents that we are, and they are aghast. And they are looking at America and saying, what the heck has happened to the United States of America? And at one time, there was great respect for this country by countries around the world. And culturally, and, and, and aside from, from our political strength and our economic strength, which many times other countries had to, at the, at the very least, re, you know, respect because of our power and what it could do, and we could help them at times. Or if they were our enemies, they had to fear us. But more than our political and our economic strength, which certainly elevated this country, we were also respected and used as an example culturally. And I have to tell you, folks, you know, economically and, and militarily, I mean, economically, we are, in, we are in no great shakes now. We're still very strong militarily, no question about that. But culturally... From what I saw on the, the coverage in London, in England, on the BBC, on American culture, and the way that people in Britain that were on these panels, on, these, on the news, talking, there was, very, there, was, there, was, there was very little respect for American culture. The, 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 the language they were using... Uh, it, it, they were, they were, they were certainly aghast at what was happening. You know, the, this mass murder that just happened, but they were more perplexed is at how America can continue this and and the downward spiral that culturally America was in, and how it is the most dangerous country in the world. And that's what they were saying. And we're sitting around going, "Oh, well, that's just." You know, who cares? Well, we can't do that anymore. You know, there was a time 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years ago where we could say, well, who cares what England or the United Kingdom or other countries think about us? We're the United States and screw them. We're the USA, damn it. Well, we better get off our high horse and realize that A, our image around the country, around the world isn't respected like it used to be 
And we can no longer have that kind of screw the rest of the world attitude. There was a time when countries were isolated, that their economies were based solely on what they did. But 35 or 40 40 some years ago, when American business really embraced, and even before that, but really was in the 80s, late 70s or early 80s, when the American business machine began to say that they wanted to open up and, and become more global. And they started opening more factories around the, around the world where they can get cheaper labor. And they were opening up new markets. They were like, hey, you know, we, we, we've, we've been able to, to dominate selling our products here in the United States, but there's markets out there that will like these products just as well around the world. And so our economy became global. If you remember, for those of you who are old enough, there was a big thing then. And people still talk about it. Made in the USA. Made in the USA. You don't see that, that, that tag on many products anymore, do you? Well, that's because about 30, 40, or 50 years ago, there was a, there was a definite move by American business to become more global, to not only, to not only uh, build manufacturing plants globally around the world to take advantage of lower wages, but also to open up new markets. So now we are dependent. Our economy is dependent on how other countries think about us and on other countries' economies. Because if there's a recession in, 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 a, in Europe, for instance, or in other countries around the world, and, we, and, and, and our, country, our companies are relying on those markets... For their bottom line, if there's recessions there, then people are buying less products and it affects the bottom lines of American companies. So yes, the idea of going global has some upsides. You're expanding your access. You're expanding your markets. You're expanding your potential consumers. No question about that. But then you're also on the downside having to withstand the losses when those markets decrease. Yes, you may initially get some um, big upturns when you in- introduce your product to a new, a new market that's never seen it before, and if it's, a good, uh, if it's a good product and it's proven, it'll probably do just as well somewhere else. But if there's an economic downturn or there's maybe another product within that country that can battle yours, then you better be ready to take the hits. But we are a global society today, and, and if American business started the trend 50 years ago in the late 70s and certainly in the 80s of, of becoming global companies, this whole idea of a global society may have started with American business, but it came to fruition in the mid-90s and then in the last 15 or 20 years in the 21st century because of the Internet. Because now we are literally connected to the rest of the world. 
And so what happens now? The, the you know it's a small world after all. Remember you know that you know when you go to Disneyland and that, and that damn song would be plastered in your head when you went through. The, it's a small world, and those little dolls were singing the same song, and all those different uh, um, languages. Well, right now, it is, we are seeing that it is a small world because news of what happens in the smallest of countries, in the smallest of cities, in the smallest of villages can get to us in a second now. We are a global society, so we need to start caring about what other countries think about us. We can no longer, we cannot be isolationist. That's not even, it's not even a valid philosophy anymore. It can't be. You can't be an isolationist in a global society. And that's what we are now. So this whole idea of, well, who cares what, what other countries think about us? That is an antiquated view, and if people still have that, they're living really in the past. And that will only get us into more trouble. But I'm telling you, folks, we better do something about this divided psyche that we have in this country now, and especially, which would seem to be a very logical thing on the gun issue. Other countries are shaking their heads at us. They cannot believe how we are allowing these mass shootings to happen on a regular basis because we will not take the necessary steps to curtail the sale of guns. Now, I, look, I'm not look. I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not getting political here on on the Second Amendment or where you stand. I will be you know full disclosure. I I was never born. I wasn't raised in a gun culture. I never I never hunted. Um, I was surprised to see that I didn't know that my uh, that my dad had a gun. And I didn't find that out until years later after I'd moved out of the house and he, and he showed me this gun. I, whoa, I didn't know why we had a gun in our house. And when he passed away, I don't know if it was ever, and I, I doubt it. I mean, I don't even know where he got the gun. And when he passed away, I, I turned it in to the police station. You know, because I didn't know if it was ever registered or anything. So I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a gun culture. But I, I, I understand the Second Amendment. I do believe that it was written at a time when a fledgling country was afraid about being, being invaded. I think the context of the Second Amendment is very important, and I think those who uh, support it don't want the context to play a role because basically the context of the second amendment the way i see it was that it was a a new fledgling country that was afraid of either being recaptured by england or being invaded by another big country somewhere down the line and so 
the idea was that we need to arm the 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 the, the the civilians, because just as we decided to declare independence and revolt against England, other powerful countries in this world with major armies can come in and try to overtake us. And that happened. And so I think the Second Amendment was definitely written in the context of the realities of the time. But yes, I understand that, that, that there are people that are born and raised in a culture of guns and hunting and it's a rite of passage and a, and a whole father and son bonding thing. I get all that. But it does seem to be, there does seem to be some room for a little compromise and there does seem to be some room that... Um, you know, military-like weapons shouldn't be available to the normal person, to an 18-year-old who can't buy a legal drink but can buy a legal machine gun. This seems to be kind of common sense. And you should hear how people in other countries are viewing that. They are they They can't believe that we're even having this debate. And they are talking about us in terms that are not very positive. And they're talking about the disintegration of the American culture. That's what they're saying, folks. We need to take a step back. We need to take a look in the mirror. So many of these divisive issues are not only dividing us internally but they are they are they are sending a horrible message to the rest of the world about who we are and where we're going as a country as a world power and as a culture and our culture was always respected and it is decreasingly being less or it is increasingly being less respected every time one of these mass shootings happens I still believe that America is the greatest country on this planet. No question about it. And we and we deserve credit because we do air our dirty laundry. And we do try to work out our differences in the public square as opposed to behind closed doors. That is admirable and that is something that we should be proud of. But there was a time when we were willing to compromise. And that is gone. And that is going to be not only a major obstacle in America moving forward, but it also could be a major stumbling block in America declining. We are seeing it internally, the division. We are seeing it and feeling it internally. But I'm telling you, I saw it from the outside and not from our enemies, 
This wasn't on Russian television talking about America in, in very disrespectful terms and, and being aghast at how American culture has declined and allowing guns and violence to rule its culture. This wasn't propaganda from Russian television. This wasn't propaganda from Chinese television. This was on television from one of our allies, perhaps our greatest ally in democracy in the world, England. And they're looking at us and they're shaking their heads saying, what has happened to America? And worse, they're saying they don't think it could ever get fixed. They're, they're basically kind of just washing their hands and saying they're never going to learn. And we once were this, this shiny city on a hill. We once were this example for the rest of the world to look to and to aspire to. And now even our allies are looking the other way. They're not looking up to us. They're not looking to us or up to us. They're actually speaking about us in very bad terms. And we should care about it. We, you can't just say, well, who cares? You better care because we need all the allies we can in this world. And as I said before, we're a global society. We, we, it, it's impossible to, 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 to be isolationists anymore. But don't we want to be the shiny example for the rest of the world? Don't we want that? Do we want to be an also-ran or do we want to be a leader? Do we want to be the example that other countries aspire to? We used to be that. So not only for our, for our own pride and respect, not only for our own ability to feel good about who we are and what we are as a country. This divisiveness is, is killing that. But it's also destroying our reputation and our respect around the world, and we will need that because our enemies will seize on it. We have enemies out there, folks. We really do. And as I said to you before, they're playing the long game. They're just waiting us out. So we better take a good look in the mirror and see who we are and what we're doing and how we can get better. Because what we're doing right now, we know it's not good for us internally. And I just saw it firsthand. It's not doing us any favors around the world either. It's time for a wake-up call, folks. We need to come together. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends... Tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 321. I'm Jim Toronto. I am here on business. I'm only here for fun. 
You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen.